Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy. The message today is titled, Good Company. And uh, how many of you love good company? You like good company? How many of you are in the midst of good company right now? If you're in the midst of good company, turn to that good company and say, Hey, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. All right. And, and the, the, for the person who nobody tapped your shoulder, I, I'm glad you're in church. You're at the right place, you're at the right time. Amen? Praise God. And so today I want to talk to us about having good company, but not just talking about good friendship and all that, because the best company we can have as a child of God, the best company is not even the place to work for. I'm not talking about Google or Apple or whatever. You know, the best company is in God's company. It's in God's presence. And I want to talk to us today about the significance of God's presence, how it's so important and, and how it transforms us and how we actually need God's presence more than we realize. We need Him every day for everything. One of the things that I pray for in church is that God would use us to be a soul-winning church. Now, I want to reach out to more people. Uh, what God has given us is good news. It's good news to know that we are created by God, that we're not just a random product of happenstance. It's good news to know that there is a God who loves us and watches out for us. It's good news to know that our past sins are forgiven. It's good news to know that Jesus loved us so much, that God loved us so much, that He would rather see His own Son punished than we being punished. It is good news to know that Jesus, you know, left the majesty of heaven to walk the earth, to reach us, to tell us that we are beloved and that we are precious to Him. It is good news to know that Jesus is alive. Amen. That today, we are not praying to a dead God. We're not praying to an idol. We're not praying to an image. But we're praying to the Son of God who is seated on the right hand of our Heavenly Father who is praying for us. It's good news. And I want to reach more people with the good news. You know, because I have no problem uh, with, with welcoming anyone to church, but I really want church to be more than just a place for Christians to relocate. You know, I know sometimes Christians, you know, relocate to London and you work in London uh, and you're looking for a new church. And great, if that's you, we pray that this will be that great church family for you that you can root down and grow. Uh, but I really want to let people who have never even heard, there's so many people who have never even heard about Jesus, who never even heard about the love of God. All they know about God is that He's angry, which is not true. You know, that He's, he's, you know, that he's uh, upset. It's not true. You know, that He loves us, that He sent His Son to die for us, you know, and I want to reach more people like that. Because sometimes being a pastor is so discouraging. You know, you meet non-believers, they, they just absorb everything like a sponge. It's the Christians that sometimes you know, complain. They go like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, uh, about this, about that. You know, pastor, tell me something else. You no, know, tell me something deeper. I just only want to hear about A. I don't want to hear about B. Uh, but I want, to, I want to talk to people who, who are blank slate. And then I'm reminded by God. Do you know that it's not just important to reach them with the good news. It's important for them to receive the good news. And I'm going to, yeah, God. God, please help me. Help me. How, how can people be more, you know, how can we create an environment, an atmosphere that allows people to, uh, their hearts to become good ground for the seed that God was sown? And then God reminded me and said, it's all about my presence. 
it's all about my presence. And God suddenly reminded me. He gave me three reminders, you know, uh, three testimonies. And God says, that, do you remember when you, you and Pastor Cap first came to London all those years ago? I said, yeah, yeah, 2015 feels, you know, strange, but it is some years ago now. Yeah, and do you remember one of the first fruits, one of the first people that got saved in church? I said, yeah, I do. Do you remember what impacted that person? And I go like, do you think it was your preaching? I go like, I, I hope so, but I'm, I'm not sure. But then God says, that, tell me, according to your memory, what happened? Well, I remember someone invited this girl. She came to church when we were a small little, you know, 15 people outfit. And she sat there and she just started being impacted by your presence. And God says, uh-huh, tell me more. She, I remember at the end of the service, she couldn't help hearing the gospel and, and just tears started streaming out of her eyes. And God, and God says, uh-huh, go on. And she left, okay? And then what happened? And then she came back next Sunday, uh-huh. And then what happened? And she gave her life to Jesus. Do you know what impacted her? Was it the, the music? Was it the, you know, at, no, well, I mean, we're glad for everyone who served, but, but no. Was it the preaching? I don't think so. It's you, God. And God says, bingo, you're right. It's my presence. And then God says, that, do you remember two very interesting testimonies you heard last year from your homes group? And I go like, yeah, God, I, I do. Remember one time, God told me, there was, you open up the floor, anybody got testimonies? And then one girl says, I'd like to share. Praise God, I just broke up with my boyfriend. And then everybody went like, oh, like, like exactly like, oh. And I go like, yeah, God, that was one of the most unique testimonies. Praise God, I broke up. And so this girl started sharing. You know, I was dating this guy. He's not a believer. He doesn't believe in Jesus and never wants to, he's not interested. But we've been dating since A-levels and I always thought that I could change him. Pause here for a while, girls, advice. Don't think you can change a guy. You know, especially not in the area of faith. If his heart is not open to God, you think that you're bigger than God? If his heart is not soft before God, if he doesn't fear God, you think he fears you? You know, but, but we can't help it, ladies, in, because you have this motherly instinct. It's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad thing. Uh, but not everything can be fixed with your TLC. And faith especially is something that a person needs to discover for themselves. So this girl thought that she could change this guy. Since A-level, she thought. Since first year, she thought. And she just couldn't. Not only that, every time she wanted to draw near to God, this guy would throw a tantrum. And it, this guy almost gave her an ultimatum. Every Sunday, it's either God or me. So you either go to your church after that, don't bother coming to spend time with me. Or if you're going to spend time with me, don't bother going to church. So this girl was in a dilemma because when she go near God, her, her boyfriend's giving her, ex-boyfriend's giving her cold shoulder. And then if she would go and spend more time with him, uh, she would feel like she's losing touch with God. And it's something that she was wrestling with. And then she shared last year. In fact, it happened this year. But it, the, the encounter with God's presence happened last year at the getaway. 
And she shared how at the getaway, I felt God challenged me to let go of this relationship because it's not healthy for me and it's not pleasing to God. Do you know that God is after our welfare as well? But how many know that it's not easy? It's not easy to give up something. It's not easy to, to call off a five-year relationship. So this girl had to wrestle. But she continued to remain in the presence of God. And she started making a decision to draw near to God more and more. And then eventually, near Easter, she shared, Pastor, I have a testimony. I finally was able to break up with my boyfriend. And all of us were like, ooh, do we, do we say, yay, praise God, or do we comfort her? Do you know that only in the presence of God can we both have tears streaming down and joy coming up from our hearts? And so, it's going to say, no, no, don't cry for me. You know, I'm, I'm glad because I know that I'm at a better place. I know that I'm closer to God. I know that I, I feel Him more than ever. And I'd be like, wow, praise God. And a few weeks after that, another person shared the same testimony. Praise God, I also have another testimony. Oh, what's your testimony? I also broke up with my boyfriend. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm like, oh, I, I pray that this one, this, the, the homes, you know, won't, you know, don't go to their homes. You know, if you go to their homes, somehow God will zap you and you will break. And so this person said, no, the same. And the person said, no, please, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Only God and the presence of God can give us peace when we need to make some difficult decisions. And then God suddenly reminded me, do you remember another testimony also in, in, in maybe the, the second, third year? Almost God was bringing me a, a testimony, a, a very significant testimony every year of you know, the last four and a half years we've been doing church here. And God says, do you remember there was one time where a doctor was healed in church? And I go like, oh yeah, God, I remember. There was once a doctor, she was here to do her specialization. And she's, she's an OBGYN, she's a gynecologist. And one day, again, you know, when we were smaller, but you know, it's never, how many know that presence of God has never been linked to the size of a church? It's linked to the hunger of His people. And so one, one Sunday, I still remember, I was about to stand up to preach. And then God says, I want you to pray for healing. Specifically, I want you to pray for healing because there's someone here that has an issue with bleeding. You know, like the, the lady in the Bible who had the issue of blood, she couldn't stop bleeding. And so I remember, I was like, oh, first time God asked me to, to, to pray specifically for that. So I still remember, I stood there, I go like, uh, uh, I won't pray, but this is specifically for the girls. So all the boys, I want you to close your eyes. And your ears, this has nothing to do with you. Uh, and I said that, I, I know, uh, I just want to speak to all the sisters in the house. I know there's somebody here, you've been suffering for a very long time with the issue of bleeding. And God wants to fix and heal your reproductive system. And, and I want you to, by faith, lift up your hands. And I don't want to embarrass you, so I'm going to close my eyes as well. So it wasn't like I touched her. I didn't even know that that happened. I just closed and I said, God, would you touch this person where they are at right now? One month later, this lady came to me and go like, Pastor, remember last month you did it? I go like, yeah. Thanks for reminding me that very awkward moment. Oh, Pastor, I just want to share, I got healed. Wow. Yeah. And she started sharing that, you know, actually, uh, ever since I gave birth to my second child, and then we were all shocked because we were like, you, you, have, you have children? Because, you know, she looks very young, you know, but she's already 32 and has two children and, and her family was back home and she come here to specialize and her husband and family back home. Uh, and, and she actually came to know the Lord in Acts. 
And so we're praying that, you know, that with her, one that is safe, hopefully her entire household, her two boys and her husband will be safe as well. And she shared that, you know, uh, Pastor, I, 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 I'm a gynecologist, I specialize in this. A lot of people think that scientists and doctors know everything, but actually no. A lot of what we do is guesswork. A lot of what we do is still ongoing research and finding out stuff. And so actually, even though I'm the specialist in this area, I've been bleeding since I, and non-stop every day since I gave birth to my second child. But, but, but I thought, no, this could be an anomaly. This could be a genetic thing. You know, who knows what this is about? And I thought to myself, as long as it wasn't cancerous, I was okay with it. But God healed me. God healed me. I lifted up my hands. And then the next day, I realized I stopped bleeding. And I knew that God could heal, but I didn't know that God would heal me so fast. Do you know that sometimes we think that we're okay to live under something? You know, this lady was thinking, I could live under it as long as it wasn't terminal. But I want you to know, just because you are okay with it doesn't mean God's okay with it. He wants miracles for your life. He wants healing for your life. And then this lady said that not only was I healed, I waited one month to share because my cycle became normal after a month. And I'm like, wow, praise God. Sister, please share that testimony. And I'm reminded again by God. And God is saying in a cheeky God way, Dave, do you see the common factor? Yeah, it's you, God. Not only is it me, it's my presence. It's my presence my presence. And so today, I want to teach us what is God's presence. And I want to teach us how we as a church can attract God's presence in a greater way. Because it's the company we keep. And we are not just people who come to church. God calls us His temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, so is God's presence dwelling in us or is something else? And I pray that we will be people who walk around with a greater capacity, a greater hunger for more of Him. Because in Him, there's breakthrough. In Him, there's salvation. In Him, there's healing. In Him, there is, you know, there is all of heaven. Amen? So let's turn to our first scripture for today. Exodus chapter 33, verse 15 to 16. And let's discover a little bit about God's presence. I want you to know that desiring God's presence is not man's idea, it's not our church idea, it's God's idea. And the first person to discover this, uh, explained it to God and says that, God, I don't just want blessing. I don't want safety. I don't want provision. I want you. You know, Moses was the person who cried to God, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us ahead. Sometimes we only pray to God, God, give me the job. But we never pray for God's presence. Do you know that God can give you a job but His presence is not there? God was about to allow His people, the people of Israel, after wandering the desert for 40 years, enter into the promised land where there was flowing milk and honey. But because He was so dissatisfied with their complaining attitude that He wanted to just, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll fulfill my promise, I'll bring you to the promised land, maybe I'll start with another people group now. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll find another Abraham from another part of the world and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start, another, start afresh with another group of people. But Moses go like, wait a second God. 
We're the second God. Don't, don't just point us the direction. Don't just open the door. Walk with us in it. And so, you know, if your dad can hear a good amen, Exodus 33, verse 15, 16. Amen? It says this, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. But a lot of us, we stop there, going like, wow, we want God's presence. But verse 16 is the kicker. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. In other words, Moses is saying, if you don't go with us, there will be no difference between us and any other people group. It is only when the presence of God is with us that there is a clear separation. Let me ask you this. What do you think sets you apart from your friends who don't know Jesus yet? What do you think sets you apart from your friends who are not Christian? A lot of you will go like, oh, not that much different. I, I just go to a different place to worship. I just wear a cross, a Christian t-shirt. You know, I listen to different music, Christian music, like Kanye West's new album. And, 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 and you, you're thinking to yourself, it's, it's this, right? The, 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 no, the people you hang out with, the language you use, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But that's not it. And God is saying, it's not about the language. It's not about what you wear. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you listen to. It's about God's presence. So if God's presence is not clearly evident in your life, are you really saved? Are you really God's people? Because a Christian doesn't get you to, uh, uh, sorry, a Christian t-shirt doesn't get you to heaven. A cross doesn't get you to heaven. Church attendance doesn't get you to heaven. It is the presence of God. And not only is the presence of God important, the, the Hebrew word for presence here is called uh, paneka. And paneka means to be so close to the point where you're almost like you're face to face. Paneka means face. And this was Moses, if you read earlier in Exodus chapter 33, he wanted to see God's face. You're so close in his walk with God. He said, God, I want to see your face. But God says, no way, Moses. Because if you see my face, you will melt. I'm too holy, but I will allow you to see my back. And then Moses wasn't satisfied. Okay, if I can't see your face to face, at least go with us to the point where it feels like you're there next to us. Have you been there before when, you know, uh, you close your eyes and you could feel that there's someone next to you? Have you been there before? Maybe your friends tried to surprise you, tried to sneak up. And even though you can't see your friend, you could feel, I don't know, the static, the vibe. You could feel that there's another presence in the room. How many of us can say that about God in our lives? Can you imagine having that closeness with God? We don't have to be afraid anymore. Some of us, you know, with your mom or your dad by your side, you have no fear when you go shopping. We the girls who understand this more. You know what I'm saying? You know, with your mom or your dad by your side, you can walk into anything, Selfridges, you know, Harrods, Bister Village. In fact, with your dad's wallet and dad's credit card by your side, you don't even need to go to Bister Village. Can I hear a good amen from the girls? Amen. <laughs> conflicted, conflicted. They'd be like, uh, uh, uh. 
But it's true. Imagine God. If we can have so much courage with our dad's wallet next to us, what more when we have God, the presence of God? No more fear. No more paranoia. No more sleepless nights. No more worrying about the future for worrying's sake. No more insomnia. No more fear. And that's what God wants for us. Amen? To have that sensation. God's presence is more important than anything else. So now that we've established the fact that we need God's presence, we need, because it is His presence that changes us, it is His presence that guides us, it is His presence that convicts and motivates us, the question now is, how do we attract God's presence? For this, let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple. You know, God had been with His people. He had manifested Himself through the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, but there was no temple built for God. And David wanted to build the temple, but God said, David, your hands are too dirty. You fought too many wars. You cannot do this, but I will allow that request. Your son will do it. And then David goes, great, 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 great. But let me uh, give in to the building fund. Let me set aside the materials. Let me play a part for your house to be built. And after God's house, God's temple is built, uh, that's not, there's no power in buildings. How many know that? You know, a building can look beautiful on the outside. It's not what's outside, it's what's inside. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can go to Buckingham Palace and it looks awesome, but if the queen's not inside, it's just a tourist attraction. But when the queen's inside, it's a place of power. You know what I'm saying? So if, if you build God a house, and if the Holy Spirit is not inside, if God's presence is not inside, there's no power. I don't want to build a church that has no power. And I don't want us to be a powerless people. And so, God is saying that build the temple, great. Now fill the temple. And God was teaching them how to fill it with His presence. So we're going to read the whole chapter for context. And then we're going to come back to five points, five things, five uh, aspects, five things we need to get right to attract and draw in uh, more of God's presence. So let's start. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father had dedicated. Underline dedicated. Or write down dedicated. The silver and the gold and all the furnishings. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men, underline all the men of Israel, assembled, underline assembled, with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, you notice, all, 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 came in and the Levites took up the Ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Underline sacrifice. 
and underlined could not be counted. Then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. So you can see, as they did all this, you know, they entered in the Holy of Holies. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. So the presence of God enters in. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the Ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary but could not be seen from the outside and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the Ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb. So you see Moses' footprint is still there. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Underline sanctified themselves without keeping to division. Okay? And then let's move on. And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph, of He-Man, He-Man was there apparently, I am the power, and Judutun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, string instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, His mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. How many know that, before I go into the five points, that church is not a place that's meant to be quiet? Amen? Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God loves His house to be a house of celebration. There were trumpets, cymbals, singers, all in one voice announcing the goodness of God. And not only that, you know, the presence of God filled in. And you know, it's so thick that the spiritual manifested in the physical in the form of a cloud. This is the real presence of God. This is not the, 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 the stage ministry of the church. You know, this is not the smoke, you know, a machine ministry. You know, don't, don't get funny ideas and go to pastor, we get it. Let's, let's you know, raise money to create a smoke machine ministry. And then every time you preach a good point, we release some steam. Oh, that's good, pastor. No, that's not what God is after. The real smoke at the first temple, was God's presence. It didn't come from a machine. It was His presence. How many of you will want that? That there is a presence about you. That there is like a cloud that surrounds you. You know, wherever you go, to your class, to your workplace, to your family gathering, wherever you go, when you're at home or out with friends, there is a cloud. There's a cloud, there's a different ecosystem surrounding you than that of the world. That is what God wants for us. And so how? How do we get to the final point, which is to have the tangible presence of God where nobody could even stand? Man, wouldn't you want that to happen for the getaway where the worship is so strong that nobody is able to stand because we're all on our knees worshipping? Well, this is how we start. Number one, it starts with dedication. Dedication. In verse 1, it says that when 
the temple was finished being built, the first thing that Solomon did was that he brought in the things which his father David had dedicated. Dedication. Dedication. The, the Hebrew word for dedication is kadash, which means to set apart or to make holy. How many of us here, before coming to worship, before seeing God, before stepping in even on a Sunday, we've made effort to set ourselves apart. And could it be that there is no power or not enough power in our lives because there's not enough preparation? You know, the people prepared themselves and they brought in. You know, there was dedication. Maybe we need to relook at our Sunday mornings. Maybe we need to relook. You know, because the same word for Kadash, set apart to make holy, is the same one that was repeated in commandment number four, which is to make the Sabbath holy. Now the question is, are we taking God's command to have a Sabbath day seriously? Or is just Sunday our day? God is saying that you Sabbath, and I'm not here to argue whether Sabbath should start on Friday night or Saturday, it's the day that we go to worship God. So you're, if you're in London, it's Sunday. If you're in Bristol, it's Saturday. But make it holy unto God. Would you make coming to church not something, not an obstacle for you to get over? I've met people who go like, Pastor, can we have an earlier church service so that after that I can have the rest of the day to myself? But that is not God's agenda. And God is saying that I know what is good for you. I'm the one who, who makes sure that every day has 24 hours and every day only needs 24 hours despite what we might be complaining about. Every week is made out of seven days and that's what we need, even though we're saying that maybe we could have one more day or maybe we could have a three-day weekend. But God is saying that I'm the one who puts the stars in their place, the earth in its orbit. I know the exact time and season. So when I say I built you for work, but you need to take one day out to rest and to treat it as holy, take one day out to rest and treat it as holy. Because God knows our internal muscle. Do you know the doctor doesn't know when your heart will beat until, but God knows. And could it be that in His commands, it's not just ministry, but also rest. And God is saying that on the day of your Sabbath, rest. Come into my presence. Download from me. And then treat it as holy. Set it apart. I know maybe you got work, but set it apart. Work harder on the day before, but have that day of rest. Because maybe what you need is not more last minute cramming, but what you need is peace of mind. And you can cram all you want, but with no peace and not enough sleep, you wake up late, you're always in a rush, you sit in, and then you're staring at the question for the students, this example, and you're thinking to yourself, I know this, I know this, ah, it's there, it's there, I, I just saw it last night, but I can't remember how many of you have been there before. And then God is saying that, put in some rest. You know your schedule's ahead of hand. You know what's up on Monday. So why don't you strategically install rest? Why do you strategically install holiness? Use it as a day to build up yourself. Use it as a day to build up your health. Use it as a day to build up other people. That's what it means by to treat it as set apart and holy. Let it be a day where you serve. Let it be a day where you serve other people. Let it be a day where you celebrate what's good in life, the joy of fellowship. And let it be the day that you set time apart to sit in God's presence even more, not just in church, but after that and download further the Word of God. 
And God is saying, would you do that? Because if you would learn to put more dedication in your life, my presence is attracted to that. Maybe for us, dedication also means that whatever is owed to God. Because whatever David brought into the temple of God was the gold and silver that he had won from all his past victories. And even though he had conquered nations, he took all that gold and he laid at the feet of the Ark of Covenant, not because God needed more money so that he could say that God has conquered nations on my behalf. But could it be that dedication also means things owed to God? You know, are you owing your tithes and offering? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And because you're holding on to it, and there's no presence, there's no power, you need to give God what belongs to God. Amen? Maybe dedication means the other pledges you made before God. How many have been there before? You know, last year, let me take you back in time, December 2018. And you tell yourself, next year will be different. Come January 2019, I'm going to be different. Come January 2019, I'm going to serve more. And you made all these vows before God, I'm going to serve more, I'm going to do more, I'm going to this. And then now, 10 months later, it's November. And then you realize, ooh, hmm, what happened? I'm not talking about, you know, all the flimsy New Year resolution, like I want to go to the gym, I want to lose weight. I'm talking about the spiritual things, the things that you said, I'm going to dedicate my life to God, I'm going to serve Him, I'm going to pursue Him. And God is sitting there, where is that? What happened to that? Or maybe some of us got so good. We've not been good, but God's so good. He's allowed us to get through by the skin of our teeth. We never quite prepared for that exam, but we set for it and we got the results we didn't deserve anyway. We put in 20% of the work, but we got 80%. And then we go like, God, you're so good. God, from now onwards, I will never doubt you again. From now onwards, I will be different. Are you different? What happened to that dedication? What happened to that promise to God? Come on, church, restore it. Restore it, and we will see a greater measure of God. Point number two, after they dedicated, they congregated. Point number two, congregation. You realize that Solomon, he was the king. He was anointed. He had all the wisdom. But it wasn't him who dedicated the temple. He got all the men, all the elders, all the chiefs, all, all, all. We underline all, all, all. Because the power of God, the anointing of God, doesn't rest with one person. It rests with a community. That's why God blesses the nation of Israel. From one person, God started with Abraham. But why did, if God could use anyone, He could have just used Abraham. And He did use Abraham to a certain extent, but He had to wait until Abraham produced Isaac, Isaac produced Jacob, and then Jacob, the 12 sons. Then through Joseph, the 11th son, was He able to bless and create an entire nation. And so God is saying, that I'm always about sharing. I'm always about congregating. I'm always about the community. Are you part of a community? We've touched on this before, but maybe I'm not here to talk to you about church. If you're looking for church, I know sometimes it's scary to put yourself out there, but being part of God's family is the best thing. And so I, I challenge you, take a step of faith. I challenge you, take a, a step of boldness and go like, God, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable, but I believe this is your command. But more important than community is unity. 
unity. You know, it's easy to attend church, but are you united? Are you united with the vision? Are you united? Are you on the same page with what God is telling our church? Or any church for that matter? Because it's not just about community, it's unity. Let's get that. Let's congregate that. In one accord, in one unity, they dedicated the temple. Point number three is this, sacrifice. Sacrifice. You had dedication, congregation, now sacrifice. Specifically, let's go to verse 6. It says there, sacrificing sheep and oxen and, and that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Do you know that in the Bible, when they say it could not be numbered, it could not be numbered. Because the Bible is good with numbers. It has a book called Numbers. You know, you know they're, they're serious about that. And then in the building of the temple, you know the, 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 the specific measurements, this is 66 cubit and this and that and that and that and that. And for Solomon, the smartest person on earth, to be there who can memorize all the measurements of the temple and saw it to completion, stood there and go like, uh, I think let's, let's give up counting. Because there's not enough of a basket, there's not enough paper, there's not enough scrolls, there's not enough a counter to count what has happened today. So not only was there sacrifice, there was sacrifice without counting. Ask yourself, are you a generous person? When it comes to God, do you count or not count? And I pray that we will be people who will learn not to count when we give to God. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, uh, therefore, you know, the church doesn't need to be responsible. No, don't worry. All our accounts are legit. It's online. You can check it out. But the thing is this, we're going to learn, first of all, to be generous. To be generous and not be so calculative. You know, I don't want to talk about money too much because I don't want to give people the impression that church is about your money. It's not. But I want to teach you a principle. Okay, let me teach you this about tithing. When you tithe, it means to give 10% to God. So when one, you have 100%, right? You work hard, you know, you, at your workplace, you give 100%. Some of you would say, I give more than 100%. Good on you. God bless you. You know, you give 100%. And at the end of the month, you get 100% of what you earned, what you worked for. And on top of that, the government takes a cut. And then now you're saying, Pastor, you, you want me on top of that to, to take out another chunk to give to God. I'll, I'll be left with, you know, tithe is 10%. The government took, you know, let's not go into how much the government takes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm left with, you know, you know and, and, then, and then not just tithing, giving, yeah. Tithes and offering, offer unto God because it's giving without counting. Don't go like, God, I've already given you 10%, all right? That's more than enough. You should know better. Ah, ah, God, ah, ah. But God is saying, you know, give without counting. So let's say, for example, okay, let's paint a worst-case scenario, right? After 30% tax or 40% tax, 10% plus giving, etc., you're down to maybe 50% of your monthly salary. And these are people who work. I know the students are now rethinking their options of working in the UK now. <laughs> now it's no longer so rosy. I'm going to work in the UK. Yeah, they take half of your pay. Huh? I'm going to go back to where I come from. So simple math. Can 50% do 100%? No, simple math, not true question. 50% cannot pay for 100%, right? I don't, I don't care how anointed you are, 
right? If you go out and you order a bowl of ramen and, and it's 10 pounds, you give 5 pounds, they go like, yeah, that's enough. Uh, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to spend the night in jail <laughs> and we will visit you and do prison ministry, all right? So 50% is not enough to do 100%. So that's why a lot of people struggle to give because God, you asked me to give because I don't, 50% cannot do 100%. But what we don't understand is this, when we still give to God, we are therefore saying, God, 50% cannot do 100%. So for the 50% that has been taken or has, I have given, taken by the government and given to God, would you fill this 50% with 100% of your miracles? With 100% of your provision? With 100% of your blessing? With 100% of your healing? With 100% of your protection? And so if the 50% is blessed by God to contain 100% of God's stuff, you're actually walking away with 150%. 50% of what you still hold and 100% of what God has in store for you. And that's why a lot of us who tithe and give, we never ever feel God shortchange us. Amen? Come on, those of you who tithe, say a good amen. You never have to beg for food. In fact, you could be generous some more. And you could lend to other people some more. And you could bless other people some more because you are operating in 100% supernatural realm. So when God is teaching His people, this is what it means. When you give, it attracts God. And even if you don't like me using this analogy, Acts chapter 10, write it down, go back and read it for yourself. There's this character called Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion who feared God. But being a Gentile, he couldn't worship at the temple. But he gave generously to God and he prayed to God. Go back and read it. He gave so generous to God and His people that one day in Acts chapter 10, he saw a vision and an angel appeared before him and says that, Cornelius, your giving and your prayers have come up as a memorial before the Lord. How many of you would love God to say that your giving has come up as a memorial before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And he says that, Cornelius, yours has. So this is what I'm going to do for you. Cornelius, order one of your servants. Go to this place. Find someone by the name of Simon Peter. Ask him, he's got good news for you. And long story short, Simon Peter went and, and God gave him another vision. Simon Peter said that, you know, my Holy Spirit is not just for the people of Israel. It's for all nations. And so when he went, and even before he spoke, spoke to Cornelius' family, go back and read it, they started to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of us want to, before you even share with your friends, you know, about who Jesus is, they start being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and not only that, Cornelius became the first Gentile, the first non-Jew to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first Gentile to receive the promise of God. Do you see how your generosity your sacrifice. Because generosity is easy to say, but it takes sacrifice. But your sacrifice without counting attracts the presence of God. Let's move on. Point number four. After sacrifice comes sanctify. Purity. God 
is attracted to purity. It is not by chance that God uses the symbolism of the lamb and the dove. When Jesus was baptized, He came out of water. The Bible says the skies split open. Not only was there the voice of the Father saying that this is my Son whom I am well pleased, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Dove is representing purity. That's why you buy brands that has dove on the outside, right? Not crow, right? How many of you will go like, hey, I'm going to buy crow shampoo brand. No, you go, I'm going to buy dove, you know, because nobody's going to put crow on me. I'm going to put dove. And on the other side is Jesus, the lamb, the perfect lamb of God. The lamb who was slain. Lamb, when you think of lamb, you think of wool, white as snow, cute and fluffy, something you want to hug and lie your head on. Purity. Purity attracts the presence of God. And not only was there New Testament symbolism, a symbolism, it was here as well. Let's go back to verse 11. It talks about the musicians. Verse 11, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place for all the priests. Not the only reason they could come out of the most holy place. Not anyone could walk into the most holy place. They, they walked in and they walked out. Touched by God. Because for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their division. Sanctification without division. How many of you here, quick question, not a trick question, but a quick question. How many of you here have an expectation that when you go to a church, you expect the pastor to be holy and to have a godly character? How many of you? Wow, some of you are really making my job really easy. So for the rest of you, I can just, you know, walk in. Okay, great, thank you. I'll, I'll. But we do, right? We do. Uh, how many of you think that uh, there is a higher expectation on the pastor to be more holy and more put together than the rest of the congregation? Come on, see, let me see a show of hands. Right? Most of you, most of you. All right, thank you. Thank you for that very honest opinion. But can I lovingly tell you that is the wrong thinking? Because when it comes to God, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that therefore I don't need to, to I, I, need, I need to lead and I need to earn my leadership in church as a pastor. That means I need to role model. But when it comes to sanctification, it is to be without division. God has called us to be a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. And now all the priests chose to sanctify themselves without division. Sometimes, you know, you, you're thinking, oh, I'm just coming to church, you know, I'm not serving today. So I can wear whatever I want, come whatever time I want because the worship team, you know, they are the ones who have to, you know, prepare themselves. They are the ones who need to carry the instruments. I can do whatever I want. And maybe that's why there's no power. But can you imagine if the entire church, from the usher to the pastor, and everyone is sanctifying themselves without division, going like, wow, God, tomorrow is the Sabbath. I'm going to keep it holy. Not only am I going to set it aside to worship you, to rest and to, to do things that are, are, are good for my mental, emotional, and spiritual health, but I'm going to sanctify myself. God, I can't wait to serve even though I'm just an usher. But God, I, I know that my role can be just as powerful as the pastor and rightfully so. You know, there's a testimony I heard. There was a church there's this couple uh, that was visiting this church for the first time. And uh, before going to church, they stopped by at Starbucks drive through for some coffee because they think that, you know, I can just swig on some coffee as we listen to the sermon. You know, one hand coffee, the other hand worship. 
And so they brought coffee, you know, jumbo, latte, whatever size it is. And then they brought there. And then as they're about to enter into the premise, the usher stopped them and go like, I'm so sorry, but we're our policy, we have a policy in our church sanctuary. You, you can drink outside here, you can drink at the car park, uh, but inside the church sanctuary, you can't drink. We have a no food and drink policy. And then these people were like, what? What kind of... What kind of like 18th century church is this? You know, this is the new way. Come on, no, we're new people. I, I know, but I'm so sorry you can't. But we just bought this, you know, I know you can't. But this is a lot of coffee. I know you can't. This costs us a lot of money. I know, sir, ma'am, but we can't. This is our policy. And then they were like, fine. So they surrendered the coffee over. They walked in without coffee being grumpier than usual. And then they were waiting. They were new to church, but they were waiting to get out. They thought, fine, oh, since I'm in church, you know, I'm here for God, so let me just check this church out. And so they walked in there, and from the worship to the message, they were just picking everything apart. Oh, look at, look at that worship leader. You know, the, the skirt is too short. Oh, you know, look at who sings that kind of songs anymore. You know, that song technically is too logical. You know, the drums are too loud. You know, the lights are too... You know, and then when the pastor goes, oh, what kind of pastor? Why does he dress like that? What does he preach like that? You know, uh, actually, you know, it's not complete. I wanted something deeper. And then they were ready to run out and go like stomp out and give it a bad Google review. And as they walk into the car... They turned around and they saw the usher, the same usher who stopped them running towards them. And then they, they were like, no, what, 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 what? What do you want? What do you want? Is it enough that you took our coffee away? And this person said, no, no, no. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. I realized that it was your first time and you probably didn't know we had this policy. So while you were in there having your worship service, I actually went out, I drove to the nearest Starbucks and I bought you a gift card. And here's a gift card. Sorry for the coffee that you had to throw into the bin. And here's two more cups of coffee on us. You know what happened? That couple decided to stay. And that couple today are serving. And are now leading a, a cell group. And now we just use this testimony, you know, to their shame, <laughs> but to the glory of God. <laughs> Why? Because one usher, not the pastor, not the worship leader, even though that church is, has a good pastor, great worship leading team. But it was one usher who sanctified without division, so filled with the Holy Spirit, they knew what needed to be done. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine when all of our ushers go like, you know what? God, I'm going to fill us. God, fill me, Holy Spirit. Even though I'm standing out there, I'm making a difference. And every handshake is, is, Lord, let there be healing that comes through me. Let there be warmth that comes through me. Can you imagine if everybody does that? The usher, the pastor, even all of us, maybe some of you are thinking, but I'm not serving. Start serving. Um, no, I'm, I'm new. I'm still going to check out at least three times before I decide to serve. Great. In the next three times you come to church, would you also sanctify without division and go like, you know what, because this church will believe in prayer? And then in the middle of worship, when the presence of God is in our, in our presence, in our, here, we turn to each other to pray and we speak life, we speak heaven on earth to that person. 
Would you sanctify without division and go like, God, when I go to church, don't just put me next to anyone. God, give me a word. God, give me a prophecy. God, give me something to release. So when I turn to my brother or my sister to pray, I'm releasing. I'm not just praying and babbling. I'm releasing your truth. I have a scripture to release. I have a vision to release. I have encouragement. I have courage to pour out. When you do that, the church becomes powerful. And could it be that there's not enough power because there's not enough sanctification without division? There's sanctification, but it's got division. Or the pastor, let him do more. He should be praying more. I can pray. I can pray just one hour a week. He should be praying seven hours a day. (laughs) Point number five. Glorify. From sanctify, we move on to glorify. Verse 13, glorifying God. It says this, right? Indeed came to pass, trumpet singers make one sound to be heard, praising and thanking the Lord, and they lifted up their voices, loud, triumphant declaration, and glorifying God, declaring that He is good and His mercy endures forever. And so this is the last part, and this is the simplest part because we all know this, which is when you come to church, get ready to worship. Get ready to worship. And today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more simplistic and talk about singing for a while. Whether you can sing or can't sing, just sing and just make a noise unto God. But our church does not have a policy of the chosen frozen. We're not here, oh, I'm chosen by God, so I'm frozen by His grace. No such thing. We're set free. And so what you need to do is you come in because the thing is this, you sing. You sing. I don't see you, but I know you sing. You sing in the shower. You sing, you know, you, you watch the carpool karaoke and you sing along. When your friend's birthday, you pay money to go out to sing at a karaoke lounge. And in church, we, you don't have to pay, but you don't make a noise. Do you know that all of nature makes a noise? You, you go to the woods, in the middle of the jungle, the crickets are making a noise so loud that you can hear it, so melodious. In the night sky, you can hear, you know, just even the winds blowing, the trees shaking. Even the trees are making noise. When you go to the ocean side, the seaside, you hear the ocean smashing on the rocks and the waves are crashing and yet they're making noise. The dogs bark, the cats meow, the birds sing. Everything that has breath and even that which does not have breath is making a noise unto God, the creator of all nature and yet we are silent. How can we be? Doesn't matter. Oh, I don't know the song. Sing along. I don't know how to sing. Just read the words out loud. That's what they did. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Wrap it out. I don't care. Clap along. But make a noise. Because it is in the praising of God. It is in the upload of our worship that we download heaven and His presence. And so when we begin to put all this together, God's presence is not only manifested, we carry it. You see, the problem is this. With point number five, we all do this. We do all do it on a Sunday or most of us do, I wish to see all of us do it more and more, 
and we do feel good. That's the truth. We do feel good. We do feel a different sense of presence. We feel God with us. We feel certainly a peace that comes with that decision. The problem is when we leave, that peace dissipates. That presence dissipates because you have only got one component correct. You got point number five correct, but because you lack point number one to four, that presence, while it's nice, cannot be contained. Do you know that God wants more than just a high five from you? A good high five is awesome. And those of you who've got like a high five that connected, it feels good, right? right the sloppy one is like, what's that, right? But a good one, but God wants more than just a high five. God wants more than your Sunday to be... God wants your Monday to resonate with His presence, your Tuesday. For you to everywhere you go, you go to work, your work becomes church. Your conversation with your friend, that becomes a sermon. I'm not asking you to literally preach to your friend a three-point sermon, but when you're so filled with God, just even an advice, just even a listening ear becomes like a sermon that challenges and heals and directs and gives wisdom. When you're so filled with God's presence, it doesn't matter what kind of office policy or office gossip there is, you know, it becomes church. And suddenly there's a different atmosphere of peace and people getting along. I pray that we will be that. Amen. And I pray that all of us will desire that. Not just today because we have getaway coming up, but every day because this is God's desire for us. Amen. The message is called good company, not good contact, not good touch. Company. May we say, God, I want you to keep me company. I want your presence above all else because in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's liberty. In your presence, there's peace. In your presence, there's power. In your presence, there's heaven on earth. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, we pray, Lord, help us to not be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. Help us, Lord, to do all of this. Help us to live it out. Help us to relook at our lives and dedicate to you again or give to you that which you deserve. Help us, Lord, uh, to say yes to congregation. Say yes to church. Say yes to homes. Say yes to prayer meeting. Say yes to unity with your people and your vision. Lord, help us, Lord, to be a people who know how to give, a people who, are, who sacrifice without counting. Help us to be a people who sanctify without division and a people who glorify because you are worthy of all praise. And if the rocks are making noises, how can I be silent? Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.axchurch.uk. God bless.